Hello, and welcome to the Forest of the Fae. Here on Pop Culture Fae, we take a look at movies, TV, comics, and other popular media through the lens of the queer folks of society. I am Miller C. Lashbrook, and I am your host on your journey through the Forest of the Fae. This week on Pop Culture Fae, I will be inviting my fiancé, Zach, back to discuss our spoilery thoughts on Season 1 of House of the Dragon. But first, Fae News. This is Fae News. In this segment, I cover this week's big entertainment news that caught my eye. So uh, let's get started. So in Marvel MCU news, uh, it was confirmed that Harrison Ford will be taking over as Secretary Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross uh, in both Captain America New World Order and in Thunderbolt. So this had previously been rumored, but it was officially confirmed by Marvel that Harrison Ford will be taking over the role from William Hurt, who passed away uh, earlier this year. There also is a casting listing for Agatha Coven of Chaos that suspiciously sounds a lot like a description of Teddy Altman, a.k.a. Hulkling, and it explicitly indicates in this casting description that another character in the series, his boyfriend, uh, is present, and that character description sounds suspiciously like Billy, a.k.a. Wiccan, who they are also casting. So they are seemingly uh, working to age up at least Billy, if not both Billy and Tommy, and adding Teddy, a.k.a. Hulkling, into the MCU. This would go against the theories that Scar and Teddy are going to be the same character in the MCU, I didn't like that or want that to happen anyway, so I'm fine with that. (laughs) I understand that there may be some general audience members who are confused by the moniker of Hulkling, because Teddy has nothing to do with the Hulk in terms of his lineage, but I think audiences could make that leap of knowledge just as they can understanding that Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan, her powers have nothing to do with Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. So I don't, I don't think it would be that big of an issue. Also, Teddy is still green and big. <laughs> so there's a connection there, at least visually. In other MCU news, it is has been rumored, not confirmed, but rumored again, I will say, that Silver Surfer is um, potentially going to be getting his own Marvel special presentation, like what we saw with Werewolf by Night. And then, most importantly in MCU news for this week, today we got our first official look at Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum... Excuse me, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania with a full trailer, uh, very well-edited trailer, makes me very excited for the movie i think 
this looks like it could be kind of of the trilogy of Ant-Man films, just based on the trailer, this looks like it could be kind of our uh, darker, grittier in entry into this trilogy, um, which I think would be a breath of fresh air for the Ant-Man movies. In DC news, uh, it was announced that the Flash movie is already uh, already has a sequel being written. It was also announced that James Gunn is working on a secret DC project. It was also announced that a Superman movie starring Henry Cavill is in the works. Another one. And DC also announced that Walter Hamada, previous head of DC Films, is officially no longer running DC Films. So I suppose right now there's no one running DC Films because they have not announced anybody to replace him uh one of the many weird uh business shakeups going on with warner brothers discovery and uh last but not least for dc news we got a new dc movie this past weekend in movie theaters with the release of black adam starring Dwayne the rock johnson as the titular character i'm not going to do a full review on the podcast but I will do a written review later this week for the film for just kind of my brief non-spoilery thoughts on the movie. I will say that this movie definitely didn't change the hierarchy of the DC (laughs) universe as the rock constantly told us it would. It seemed to be more of the same of B minus or B level superhero movies. Um, And really I walked out of the theater thinking, did I just get transported back to 2011? Because that is what it felt like watching the movie in good and bad ways, right? 2011 wasn't necessarily just a bad year for movies, but this movie felt dated uh, in its presentation of its content. Uh, Specifically, it felt like a movie I'd seen before. It felt like something that has already been done in the superhero genre. The only thing new about it was that The Rock was starring in it. Um, I will say, I do think the, um, the use of um, a lot of Middle Eastern and North African actors in the film is uh, something new that we haven't seen in the superhero genre at least this many in the same movie um and we get some new characters from dc i just think the execution was a little lackluster in the end i think it's a fun popcorn movie that if you're just looking to go see a matinee something to kind of pass the time because there's not a lot of other movies coming out right now maybe you want to avoid all the people um knocking on your door on halloween night and you want to go see something that's not a horror movie this might be the movie to go see. In Star Wars news, we got episode seven of Andor. And I'll say it briefly here. This show just keeps getting better and better. I think this is a great slow burn show. It's going to make for a great binge when people, when, when the whole season has wrapped. But specifically once the show got over the hump of the first three episodes, 
it really has taken off and the like politics uh, of the empire era being explored in the show is just fantastic. Also in Star Wars news, it was announced that Damon Lindelof of Lost fame and writer Charmaine Obad Chinoy, who worked on Ms. Marvel, are working together to create a Star Wars film together. In movie news, we got a trailer for the upcoming Christmas Story 2 that is coming to HBO Max. And in other movie news, Twisters, the sequel to the 90s movie Twister, was announced. Why anybody needs either of these two movies, I have no idea. (laughs) But they're coming, I guess. Uh, In TV news, as we will talk about later in this episode, House of the Dragon episode 10 aired, wrapping up the first season of the show. In gaming news, uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet has uh, been shown to various outlets, uh, online outlets and influencers. Basically, the they were taken to uh, a place where they could preview two hours of the game. They were heavily surveillanced <laughs> with Nintendo. I'm I'm sure there were Mario posters on the wall that said, "It's me, you're watching you while you play the game," <laughs> because they basically uh, in, people online have said uh, the ones that were able to go and preview the game uh, basically said there were. Nintendo reps standing over their shoulder watching them play the game to make sure they didn't go off the the beaten path and go to places they weren't supposed to go to. They basically Mufasa'd these influencers <laughs> and said, everything the light touches <laughs> is it's uh, fair game. Um, based on the food, all jokes aside, based on the feedback that people have been giving online about the game, it looks like it truly is going to be at least the big step in the right direction in terms of open world Pokemon games, uh, taking some of the best elements of Sword and Shield and Legends Arceus and kind of combining them together to make a great new entry in the Pokemon franchise. Again, that's just based on what people are saying. We won't know until we get our hands on it on November 18th, but as with every Pokemon game, I'm excited, but I'm especially excited for this one. It looks like they're really listening to the gameplay elements that fans enjoyed about the two previous big entries in the franchise, and they want to make a game that is both accessible to new fans and also a game that old fans want to come back to and revisit over and over again. Again, I this is all based on what people are saying, But that's my hope. In Sims news, we had the Sims Summit, which was way more hyped than it needed to be because they hyped up that there was going to be all this big news. And then they really didn't tell us much of anything. They announced two new expansion packs for The Sims 4 uh, will be coming in 2023, but they didn't name those expansion packs. They also teased something related to infants or toddlers question mark uh with a baby crawling across the screen and possibly kind of the biggest thing they showed 
really, really early footage of what they're calling Project Renee, which is the working title for the next uh, evolution, as they called it, in the Sims franchise, so seemingly Sims 5. And I think, I mean, it looks like good build-by mode, because <laughs> that was pretty much all they showed. I think until we see that the that EA and um, the Sims uh, developers are willing to take the feedback on specifically life mode gameplay that has been lacking in The Sims 4, I will be kind of skeptical as to the direction of this franchise. It seems like they really have put a lot of focus on build my build by mode and making it basically like an architecture's like favorite game, an architect's favorite game, an interior designer's favorite game. But in terms of the storytelling elements of the game, uh, definitely sims 4 has been a little lacking and especially with the subsequent expansion packs so i hope that the sims 5 or whatever they call this next evolution if you will uh can turn things around in the in the way of storytelling gameplay but like i said the build by mode mode look cool (laughs) and lastly for my fey news i have book news this week uh, as you all might have figured out at this point, I love the Percy Jackson franchise. I'm very excited for the show. And only a few weeks after we got an announcement of a book starring Nico D'Angelo, uh, co-authored by Rick Riordan, we got an announcement that Rick Riordan is going to be coming out with a sixth book in the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series next year. This is coming um, early fall of next year. It's called The Chalice of the Gods. It will be not part of the Heroes of Olympus series, not a new series, but a sixth Percy Jackson and the Olympians book. It will take place after the end of Heroes of Olympus, but prior to the start of the Trials of Apollo series. Apparently, Rick Riordan basically wrote this book as part of his pitch <laughs> to get uh, Percy Jackson streaming show made where he basically would would go to the companies that he was pitching to and saying, Hey, I want to make a show based on my book series. I also have a new book that can coincide its release with the release of a new show uh, to hype up the marketing and everything. Um, It really seems like Rick Riordan uh, in the 2020s is like the author to be, uh, with his fan base and with these projects he has coming up and it makes me very excited to be a Percy Jackson fan uh, in the year 2023. That is all the Fay news <laughs> for this week. And now we're going to move into our main topic for this week. We're talking House of the Dragon. Alrighty, so I am here with Zach. Welcome hi, hi. back. I think this is your third or fourth week in a row being on the podcast because we talked about Werewolf by Night and Hellraiser two weeks ago. Yep. And then last week we talked about She Hulk and Rings of Power. Uh, and you are here today to talk. House of the Dragon. Dragons. So, 
<laughs> we, I originally, I, I think if, if listeners, if you went, go back to the episode where we talked about the premiere of rings of power, uh, I think I mentioned on there that I was not planning to, uh, talk about yeah. the house of the dragon or even write blogs, uh, blog post reviews about it. Uh, Mostly because being a teacher, I was, I thought a show, well, it was, it's going to be a prequel to Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones is very adult. Maybe talking about a show like that online wouldn't be the best idea, but uh, this show is just so good. I had to. So good. So, good. <laughs> uh, so and I mean... I'll put the little E on here. <laughs> I think anything that uh, yeah, talks I mean, about Westeros is going to be yeah. venturing into the explicit territory. Yeah, I mean, we won't be. But, nah. uh, but I mean, definitely I'll, the I'll show is rated TVMA for sure. Um, but kind of, I, I'd like to start our conversation around kind of what was your mindset going into this show because we it's been uh a good oh uh, two and a half years right Mm -hmm. since game of thrones ended it's been much 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 longer since he's (laughs) written a a book in the game of thrones series now the the fire and blood is the book that this show house of the dragon is based on and that came out I believe I was in. I know I was in college. Uh, have you have the book right in, front in front of, of you. Yeah, let's look page. at the copyright page, please. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, so it would have been my senior year of college. But uh, I do want to specify a lot of the content in this book is uh, reprinting of other material, uh, some of which dates back even further than that. To the some of these stories are like 10, 15 years years old so yeah and naturally uh, it's funny the the conversation around this show is just because of timing so inherently tied to the conversations around rings of power and similarly to rings of power being based on the appendices and somewhat the cimmerillion uh by tolkien things that were written as like world building that he'd never really intended to publish um, one could probably venture to guess that a lot of Fire and Blood started as world-building material that uh, George R. R. Martin came up with for Game of Thrones, and then he, or for A Song of Ice and Fire, oh, yeah. that he uh, was just like, "Hey, <laughs> maybe I will publish this into a book." I mean, um, yeah, the the actual Song of Ice and Fire books, the world that Martin has created in those books is so unbelievably expansive and he just will list off like names after names after names of families and history and he just name drops like these he'll and it'll be like a two sentence like thing in the middle of a paragraph completely unrelated that he'll bring up some major battle from history or whatever and so i'm sure somewhere he probably was keeping a running tally of all of that stuff. And um, I know that uh, specifically he 
has worked really closely with the um, main editors from uh, the Wiki of Ice and Fire was the website uh, that was originally created to house As like a fan it, by fans. Yeah. yeah, it was created to house all of that information. And Martin himself admitted that uh, the fans who were running it knew more about his world <laughs> than he even did. Uh, so he actually partnered with them uh, and has worked very closely with them throughout as he's done some publications, including um, Fire and Blood and uh, the World of the, Ice and yep, Fire. The World of Ice and Fire and everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was able to crowdsource uh, some of his own world building uh, to his fans, which I think is kind of a neat story. Yeah. So f- for listeners to get context, um, Zach has read uh, all of the published song, uh, books in A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also read. Uh, the world of ice and fire, and, and fire and um, blood for the most part. He has read most of fire and blood. I've been uh, reading. He, yeah, he has read past what season one of House of the Dragon covered. To be honest, um, and this will get into stuff we're talking about probably in a few minutes, but I yeah, no spoilers had, just yet. No, but yeah. I what I was going to say is I I have had uh, fire and blood on my shelf for quite a while and just never got around to reading it. Uh, and so this might spoil some of my attitude toward the show, but I will say that the show was good enough that it, uh, it, it finally you... got me to pick up uh, my copy and finally start reading. So I've actually been, uh, for the most part, reading the book. Throughout. Ahead of the episodes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and for listener context, I have not read any of the books in the, in the, the world of, uh, Game of Thrones, yeah, Westeros, yeah, no. any of them. Um, but I, of course, have seen all of A Game of Thrones multiple times uh, over for especially a lot of the earlier seasons, and uh, I, I, I do love the, at least the television adaptation of it. Now, so you talked about like how expansive the world is and everything, and we'll get back to House of the Dragon in a moment. Um, but just for listeners who have not, who have maybe only watched the shows, the the show does like a great job of world building. But you're kind of saying that the books even more so like expand exponentially from there. Yeah. But with a lot of like little uh, like organic it's, details. Yeah, it's a lot of it. It's uh, just little details. Um, it's characters talking about uh just the the royal families and everything mm-hmm. uh this will get into again we'll talk more about um i will talk about how fire and blood is written versus how the show was uh but a lot of times uh there are unreliable narration uh in the song of ice and fire books as well because you get uh you'll hear you'll hear three or four different characters describe the same historical event uh, like uh, common folks describing a, a battle that happened like a hundred years ago, but the way one person describes something might be completely different or then or contradictory to the way another character describes it. So uh, the the way he builds his world, it does feel organic and it does kind of feel like a lot of it is an oral history uh, mm-hmm. where you're kind of giving he gives you little bits and pieces here and there. Uh, and it really is kind of up to the reader to take those breadcrumbs and kind of piece them together 
because um, he doesn't necessarily, other than in uh, the outside material, like the World of Ice and Fire and Fire and Blood, he doesn't necessarily take the time to full on uh, tell these stories. He just mm-hmm. lets you use your imagination and kind of yeah, fill I, in the blanks. When we're talking about these kind of big fantasy franchises in particular, you can really tell what the authors who created them love or what's really important to them Food. in their in their life. No, well, that's some not thi- what well, I was no, going to say. Gonna say well, but... some, well, some things <laughs> may be ambiguous. I do love George R. R. Martin. Well, he will spend a solid three or four pages describing a singular buffet, and then he will, <laughs> and then he will, in one paragraph, cover like fifty years worth of history uh, in the same book. So it is interesting to see <laughs> where he where he allocates his word count the what i was going to say uh i i i know not on the podcast but with you before i have made the comparison because you have not read any of rick riordan's novels but you but you have read the harry potter series i have made the comparison between riordan and rowling's writing that jk rowling writes from a mother's perspective and Rick Riordan very much writes his character from what seems like a dad's perspective. Mm -hmm. I think in that same way, we could compare Tolkien and Martin and say that Tolkien writes like a linguist, someone who loves language and Martin writes like a historian and creates his world like a historian Mm -hmm. and someone who loves history. I mean, you have to look no further than the fact that there are so many characters with the same name that it is confusing, but there's a great interview with Martin uh, where he talks about there's a rule in specifically fantasy writing that you don't want to have any characters that, that's na- that names start with the same letter. And then he, he said, but, but he said, yeah. but wait, that means I can only have 26 characters. And so he decided well in history at least in british history it's the history of uh henry's and george's and so he sought to create uh, a world that very much reflected the european history that he grew up learning about and a lot of that comes in the form of princes and kings and lords and ladies taking the names of previous people and so you have like four different Aegons, mm-hmm. and nice. you have a bunch of people named like Rhaenys, Rhaenys, Rhaenyra, Allison, Allison, Alyssa. Yep. Yep. And I think while obviously that creates confusion from a fan perspective for some, it it's... also creates realism in his world in a, such a simple way of just like names. It... But that kind of leans into his philosophy as a whole as a creator he likes to lean into realism with his fantasy storytelling definitely and you mentioned the historical side of things um casual fans may not know but the actual original song of ice and fire series was essentially martin's fantasy take on the war of the roses uh which is the um, war in Britain that was between the uh, Yorks and the Lancasters. So mm-hmm. uh, 
York became Stark, Lancaster became Lannister. Yeah. Um, and so the but a lot of the main um beat points of the actual war that we see in the original um Song of Ice and Fire series. Yeah, the war of the very, five kings. Yeah, yeah. It follows very closely to um that war that would ultimately end the real war ended uh with the creation of the Tudor dynasty. Um mm-hmm. that is the line that our very recently late queen uh i say we but we're american yeah we're american here so but the late (laughs) queen uh was the part of the tudor dynasty yeah Um, so yeah the and also you have to look no further than his like influence from british history than just looking at the map of Westeros. It's just Britain, it is upside, upside down, down Britain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh with I think like I think Ireland, Ireland is like yeah. stretched sized up and slapped on top of it somewhere. And then I think if yeah. you I think Scotland might be I think uh roughly the same shape as uh SS give or take. I think. Uh no, because Scotland's attached to England. Yeah, but I think he Never mind. I didn't think anything of it. Anyway, but yes. Because the, the, it's upside down. So uh, Dorn is yes. like where Scotland is. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not a geographer. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so let's kind of move into... Uh, so let's tie it back to... So we, we still haven't even kind of touched on the, where I wanted to start here. What was your expectation of this series going in? What did but, you? So that, what were you thinking... I, before you before you opened that book up again and that's what i wanted to say is i think i think that's a good indicator the fact that the book upon which this is based had sat on my shelf collecting dust uh for a very long time i for whatever reason uh maybe it was how the game of thrones series ended um but i had tv series the tv series the books have not ended no still being written maybe um i had been hesitant to jump back into this world Mm -hmm. uh so i wouldn't say that i was pessimistic about this show i don't know that i was expecting it to be bad or anything uh but i can't say that i was like you know super excited or like uh you know, counting down the days to when the show premiered. Yeah. Um, I was optimistic and intrigued, but that's about it. Um, yeah, I think it it wasn't really until we got the first kind of like trailer at Comic-Con, I believe, where our interest started to be peaked because... I mean, they had that Naomi Watts uh, prequel that they were filming as well, which, uh, like, while filming the pilot got canceled and, like, didn't happen. And so I think, sort of, we had kind of the mentality, at least I know I did, with House of the Dragon, that I was like, I'll kind of believe it when I see it. It felt like Mm -hmm. what we're kind of used to at this point of these announcements that seem to just be marketing streaming plays to sell people to sell the streaming services rather than true like projects that are being worked on. And it wasn't until that trailer came out that I was kind of like, okay, this is a thing that's really happening. And this looks, this reminds me of 
Game of Thrones. So sure, like let's watch it. But yeah. like you're saying, I don't think I was like counting down the days, especially especially since at the time we had like Andor was a couple weeks away. She Hulk had just started airing, uh, and Rings of Power the like Thursday before had dropped its first two episodes. And so there was a, like a lot of content coming at once. And it was like, I don't know, am I going to have time for this show amongst all the other shows at the time? Uh, And I think we just decided to sit down and watch the premiere. And we were very pleasantly surprised um, by it, which it shouldn't have surprised us. But like you said, because of the end of the previous series, there was doubt. Um, so do you want to move into your kind of overall thoughts on this season? Um, I want to, let's keep it still kind of spoiler free. Uh, and then we will, after that, move into spoilers, but I'll announce that before we move into that. So what are kind of your overall thoughts? The, yeah, the, the show definitely... Uh, was a very pleasant surprise. Um, I think that it has been different enough from the uh, Game of Thrones series that it feels fresh. Uh, it feels like they learned from uh, from Game of Thrones. They mm-hmm. they saw what worked and what didn't work. Um, but I think for anyone who is a fan of political intrigue uh, or family uh, drama, this show definitely offers a lot of really juicy moments that I think where I really like, without getting into major spoilers, um, in this show, in the book, obviously deal with huge historical events but i think even more so than the game of thrones show um house of the dragon feels very grounded in the characters mm-hmm. it feels like everything is being driven by the characters and by the actors and just some absolutely phenomenal acting um, and directing choices i think as well uh, we, you and I had noted that uh, the majority of these uh, episodes were directed by women. The majority of the episodes were directed by women. And yeah. I think it, it comes through in a way that mm-hmm. the, the show, I think the way that everything, the way that the characters are portrayed, it feels more organic, it feels real, and it feels like there is just this level of beauty to it. I guess would be, for lack of a better word, even at the the grittiest moments, uh, the bloodiest moments, or the most erotic moments of Mm -hmm. the show, there's always this level of beauty and art to it that I think was often missing for whatever reason. What a simple choice. Not simple, but in, in, like, from an audience perspective simple choice to have a huge impact on 
the like standing having this show set aside itself from Game of Thrones by hiring more diverse talent behind the camera. Like we should always do that, right? Yeah. Uh, but just having voices of color and like feminine voices working behind the scenes on this show. Um, and I think to a degree attempting to put more talent in front of the camera too, that is a little bit more diverse than I Game of Thrones did. really important because I am a huge, huge, like diehard George R. R. Martin fan, but he is about as neck beardy as you can get. Uh, he is very much a straight white man writing from a straight white man's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so to make sure, like to have uh, diverse voices and diverse creators taking that story and presenting it, I think is, is very important. Yeah, I, I think for me... I think with the wrong directors, this could have gone badly. Yeah. I think for me, my overall thoughts is that, I mean, if they took the best aspects of the world building and the drama and the like high concept, like nature of Game of Thrones, and they said, okay, that was a like globe trotting, like action, grim action adventure, this is the crown. Or, um th- this this is a heightened focused uh look at a family playing a playing the political game and we'll see other players but only when their game interacts with the Targaryen line the the dynasty uh, i think that is the enough of a distinction but from the original game of thrones for this not to just feel like a cash grab prequel but its own thing that builds upon the lore of that show and those books in a really nice and organic way yeah yeah um so i think we're gonna take a quick break here and this will act as your spoiler warning So after this point, we're going to talk spoilers just for the show. We won't mention any spoilers from the the book Fire and Blood that have not popped up in the show. Uh, But we're going to talk after the break about how, like, uh, Zach's going to share his thoughts on the adaptation nature of the show. Uh, We're going to share kind of our favorite uh, moments from the season. And then uh, we're going to kind of give our final kind of thoughts and ranking, if you will, of uh, of the show. Okay, we are back from our break, and this will be your final, 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 final spoiler warning. After this point, we will be talking spoilers from the whole first season of House of the Dragon. So go watch the show and uh, come back to this point in uh, the podcast. Cool. Okay. Um, So let's start our spoiler discussion uh, with your thoughts on just the adaptation from book to screen since you have read 
Fire and Blood and the the series overall. Yeah. Um, I think this is definitely a unique uh, scenario in unlike any other um, I think the screen only adaptations thing, that I am familiar with. I think the only thing that we could really compare this adaptation um, to and uh, sorry to um, assume what you're talking about you're saying because of how Martin is writing and producing the show no actually oh uh, I was gonna say in that matter I I think the only thing that compares to it is um, a handmaid's tale hmm. because Margaret Atwood is a, a writer and producer of that show she really has taken care to adapt her own book and further the story. Um, so that's not what you were going to say. No. Uh, what okay. I was going to say, is I, think, <laughs> I think what makes this so unique among screen adaptations is that the source material that it is written or that it's based on is so unreliable. So the book is written, Fire and Blood is written as a history of the Targaryen family written well after everyone has died. Uh, it's written It's written by a fictional character named uh, Archmaester Gildane. Uh, so it is supposed to be written by an Archmaester who is collecting stories from many different people uh, over the course of hundreds of years like and, gandalf in the hobbit he's yeah. in he's in a hole and he's just flipping through all these manuscripts yeah and, <laughs> and so constantly throughout this book uh there's speculation as to what may have happened uh there are huge chunks where the the maester who's writing it just says we, we don't know what happened here know, yeah. because no one was there to record it mm -hmm. uh and then the, the probably one of the most frustrating things is that the book is written specifically to be the history of the Targaryen families. And so every once in a while, the maester who's uh, uh, writing will bring up something completely unrelated and super exciting uh, about like another family's history. <laughs> and they'll mention it for like one sentence and then he'll be like, but that doesn't relate to what we're talking about. That's another story. So that's a story for another day. <laughs> uh, and so there's these like little like hints at other stories that we just don't get. Yeah. And so because the book is written in such a way, uh, what we get with the show, you and I have had uh, kind of a conversation as we've been watching it. It's almost like we're getting now the canon version of these events, we're seeing what really happened. So where the book is speculation, history, it's the what the story that survived, uh, you know, hundreds of years to be written down. Now we get to see the events actually unfold on screen. And so what we are led to believe is, you know, these are how the events actually took place versus what we read in the what I read in the book uh, was just you know, speculation or one possible yeah, scenario. Yeah, a maester's history yep. of this all of this whole story is naturally going to have a very different point of view than plopping a camera into these actual scenes. And I want to say probably one of my favorite characters who unfortunately 
did not make it into the TV series, at least not yet, uh, is a um, a horny little uh, guy named Mushroom, who is interesting. Uh, he's a he, <laughs> yeah, he's a dwarf, uh, and he's one of the minstrels, I believe, uh, living on Dragonstone, hmm. and so he is quite frequently in the background of these big events uh but he's a character that no one takes seriously and so no one really pays attention to him uh so he's kind of a fly on the wall in Mm. some of these big historical moments that they talk about uh and so he we get his version uh throughout the the book we get little tidbits from his perspective that he has written down oh there's and a, there, it's a diary what, uh, no it, uh the it's the archmaster who wrote the again archmaster gildane the mm-hmm. the narrator of the book will just say according to mushroom and then he'll give like the the version that <laughs> that mushroom gave but Interesting. mushroom stories are always the horniest versions of, of everything course. uh so he'll he'll tell the story from like an from one of the maesters' perspectives, uh, the you know recorded that specific moment, but which then he'll, is probably way more chaste. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then he'll say, but if we're to believe, you know, Mushroom's account of the events, then this is what actually happened. And usually, there's a whole lot more sex involved in Mushroom's versions of it. A lot more blood as well. So as you have, and not specifically about this mushroom character no but as you have kind of described this key difference of point of view from the book to the show i think you've actually made me realize that a handmaid's tale is the perfect comparison to make to this because the book is from offred's point of view as these like these chapters are just these moments where she was able to write down her thoughts in secret uh and then we get like historians talking about her story at the end of the book way in the future versus the show which just like with fire or with um house House of the dragon Dragon, the show is plopping a camera into these events so we learn way more about june we learn way more about moira we get things like flashbacks we see what's happening with luke like uh, not to talk about a completely different show, but I, I like, I'm realizing now, yeah. like the, I wonder if George R. R. Martin was like, Hey, Atwood, <laughs> can I uh, take, can I like take some notes on how you have taken care of your story as a Hulu series, as like a streaming series, because my first go around things did not quite go as planned. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's, obviously like the big elephant in the room over this whole series is the stumbles and blunder of a ending of the show game of thrones yes. uh and so i cuz i mean it's the most pirated game of thrones was the most pirated show of all time uh one of the most watched shows on t- tv of all time and so obviously the fan base is there but i think that final season was or is still a hurdle for some people. Um, But I guess I'm here to tell you from my perspective, and I think Zach would agree with this, House of the Dragons is worth your time. I definitely think it's worth your time. Um, 
I'm not sure, honestly, uh, if I were to recommend, uh, I'm not sure that I would recommend the book for, uh, if you're a casual fan of fantasy. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would recommend this book just because of the way it's written. Uh, It is written as a historical text and it can be a little bit off-putting for readers. About as pleasant as reading the Cimmerillion, I would say. I'm working my way through both of them simultaneously because I'm a one for punishment. Yes, I would say that uh, the Fire and Blood is a, a much easier read than the Cimmerillion. But yes, in that same way that it is written, yeah. it's not written as a traditional narrative. Uh, and so, I can't say that I, unless you're a diehard Martin fan. Um, which if you are by all or just means, like yeah. a fan of this world yeah yeah then then pick up a copy of the book if you really want to you know get get that extra mm-hmm. context but i think this show it does a, a great job of and definitely i think you you would say this definitely don't pick up fire and blood if you have not picked up the a song of ice and fire books actually i think you could uh I, if you've at least watched the both shows i i i, w- I would think that would be best um <laughs> i mean it's it's a historical you want context of the world but you, you don't necessarily need i i think it would help but uh these stories are set let's see 200 uh, and some odd years 175 175 i believe okay. I, I i can tell you off the top of my head i believe that uh, the Song of Ice and Fire books and the Game of Thrones show uh, runs from 298 AC to, I want to say, 305 okay. AC. And right now where uh, the show covers a decent amount of time, but I believe uh, the finale would have been uh, where we ended season one of mm-hmm. House of the Dragons would be 129 AC. Okay. So, yeah, so about 175 years difference Mm -hmm. um so i mean this is a prequel and so there there's nothing here that would spoil anything if you if you really wanted to but i don't know that there would be enough to incentivize caring about these characters if you don't have the greater context of the stories yeah all all prequels by nature are trying to simultaneously bring in new people and appease the old fandom and so if no one, if there was somebody who had not watched Game of Thrones or read the other books, there's thing they would miss. But I don't think this show that I don't think there would be thing like I don't think you need to watch Game of Thrones to enjoy House of the Dragon. I don't think so. No. You would things like a Lannister popping up wouldn't yes. have an impact on no, that. No, and uh, or like them mentioning some of the houses that you meet in Game of Thrones. I think the big one uh, and we are in spoiler territory here, but... The mention of Aegon's song. Yes, the Song of Ice and Fire, <laughs> uh, which was an addition that George R. R. Martin added to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the, the well, actual Song of Ice yeah. and Fire is never mentioned in uh, the book at all, uh, but bringing it in, and, and that's one of those things, that there wouldn't be historical context for it because it was a very private conversation between a father and his daughter. Yep. Uh, again, we are getting into heavy spoiler territory here, uh, but in the finale of season one, we find out that even Damon himself yeah, does not, brother. yeah, Viserys's brother does not know 
about the the prophecy of uh, the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. And so, yeah, there wouldn't be any historical context. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. this, I, I, I'm making projections based on what I know, um, but I, I would guess that at some point that information is completely lost to history. I mean, until, based on, uh, based on what we've seen in Game of, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Yeah. And that, and I, I think based on what you've told me, I agree that's like the only real big thing that you would need context for, at least from like the show I, I perspective. So. Um, because it, but it does add a really interesting layer to Viserys as a yeah. character, knowing like his, this dream that is like a driving force for him. And then also having the foresight as, as viewers to know that like, it's not BS, but like, yeah, it's we, not we, some we see <laughs> bullshit this. prophecy. So, like, it's real, like, literally. Which I do want to specify for prophecies in the Song of Ice and Fire series. Uh, it is actually very unique that this one does actually come true. Prophecies are very much not a foolproof system in Martin's world. So, and not only is this prophecy true, the freaking dagger that has it mm-hmm. on it is the dagger that is used by Arya to stab the yep. Night King. I I love that detail. Yeah. It it is such a subtle and small connection between the two shows that really kind of like it it I think especially knowing the book starts so much sooner with fire and blood starts with Aegon's conquest. And so asking the question of like, why does house of the dragon start with Viserys mm-hmm. and having that as like our marker of like, Oh, it's because he, he cares so much about a song of ice and fire. And, and then for that to be the ending of the previous show, it creates like a nice kind of feeling of like, this is one continuous story. Mm-hmm. Even if, the smaller details don't really matter between the two shows, the broad strokes, this is one world, this is one story that all leads to where we started Game of Thrones. Yeah. With Danny in and, Pentos with, and, with her brother uh, and with Robert Baratheon on the Iron Throne. Like that, that we're all getting there. And I hope my hope is that and I think we this was going to come up in this yeah, conversation. I was about to say we don't know where the show is going to end. Some people are saying, "Oh, it'll just cover the a dance with dragons war that is clearly started in the finale uh with Luke being eaten by Vagar." That's uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh but my hope is that we just keep this show going through all of the Targaryen. I mean, the show is called House of the Dragon, mm-hmm. right? Which we, what a perfect and, name. Yeah. And having the show just follow the Targaryen line through all of its trials and tribulations up until Aerys the Mad King is removed from the throne during Robert's Rebellion. I think that would be a beautiful end to the series. And like going right up to kind of where we start with game of thrones and then i think we'll be in a beautiful place with this hopefully if nothing messes up with the show 
with this franchise to where enough time will have passed to where we can get our Jon Snow, Arya Stark, Sansa like 10 years after the end of Game of Thrones mm. show. Uh, that That's my hope. And I think to piggyback off of that, um, first off, uh, Martin has, uh, he's been working on uh, the uh, Winds of, Winds of winter. winter for quite a while. Uh, Over a decade. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that is the next book that's supposed to come out in the Song of Ice and Fire series. But he has promised, uh, it said, Fire and Blood does end uh, shortly after the Dance of Dragons. Uh, he has said that after he finishes writing Winds of Winter, there will be, will be a someday, volume two yeah, there of will be a Fire and Blood. And that it would cover uh, the the rest of the Targaryen dynasty through the end of the mat through the reign of the Mad King, and uh, but yes, I I hope that we can see that come to life on screen, that we can see the Mad King brought to life, um, that we can see characters that we've grown to love, like uh, even though we didn't get enough of him, uh, <laughs> you know, Stark, um, you know, we could see the the early days of Robert's rebellion and everything, mm -hmm. and see Ned and Rob. Robert or Robert Baratheon, uh, specifically yeah. seeing them like as young men, uh, we get a little bit of flashback very briefly toward the end of the Game of Thrones show, but yeah, I would love to see that. And for I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the end of Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, spoilers for Game of Thrones. I guess yeah. we should have said that. But uh, seeing Rhaegar fall in love with um, Lena, Lena Stark. Lyanna. Lyanna Stark, yes. Is that what you were going to say? That and... Yeah. But I, I also kind of hope... I, I, I want to see a baby Danny. Like, I, <laughs> I've King's gone Landing. on record defending Daenerys' choices at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, when, when I've talked about it in the past with my friends, what I've said is that I think that the her choices were... Awesome, and it, and I mean that in a good and bad way. But yeah. I, I think more than anything, what we lacked was the context and the time to see how she, after landing in Westeros, how mm -hmm. she went from this optimistic girl who wanted to, you know, take back her family's seat and rule Be to wanting start, to burn it all down. Because we start her journey. In Essos with her brother, we don't, we only ever hear about what it was like for her to witness her yep. father being dethroned and like this rebellion yep. supplanting and, her family. And so I rewatched the, and I think seeing that would do a lot to really show like the trauma that Danny had to where when she finally saw the red keep again, she had no choice, but to, as her father said, burn, burn it, it all. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I, we both are in the camp of her arc makes sense. The show just didn't um, do enough to show us rather than tell us yes. uh, what was going through her head. Um, I think Amelia Clark, showed us with her acting uh, that, that yes. hands down I you see it on yeah. her face i rewatched that, that episode yeah. today uh 
trying to I, I was looking at a few things just after having watched mm-hmm. uh this most recent episode and seeing how uh the battle between uh Lucerys and Aemond went down mm-hmm. uh I I was re-watching the fall of King's Landing uh just to see you know how how in control Daenerys was of Drogon uh because we there was a theory that perhaps she had lost control of her dragon in the way that the boys did. Yeah, that, that was is going not around the case. Twitter. That was that not was, the case. I can, I can yeah. say, having watched the episode again today, that is not the case. She was 100% in control the whole time. But yes, the seeing the look of horror and pain on her face when she actually looked at the Red Keep and heard the bells ringing and everything, the, the, the trauma and the PTSD that came with it in that moment, I think having this context would help with that. And I think I said, um, we were talking about it earlier, that she is very much the product of the Targaryen line. She is the child of two Targaryens. uh, So she has that blood super concentrated in her and so this will help give context to you know her family line and how her ancestors were her so, madness yeah, yeah and so it may it, it may help us to you know kind of understand more why she did what she did so we could honestly like have a whole podcast oh, yeah. about the show obviously like that the show is treated rightfully so by the creators like literature that's how much depth there is but like from act the acting choices the set design the camera work everything uh it's treated like a piece of art uh but we we in this one episode do not have time to dive into all of that so i want to hear from you um what were your give me give me three what were three highlights of the show um and you don't have to go super into detail with them but just three highlights that were kind of some favorite things of yours sure uh starting out i think uh i loved the relationship between Lenor valerian and rainy's targaryen uh the, rainier you mean uh, rainier sorry yeah. rainy's is his mother sorry. yeah rainier again names very similar uh, but the relationship between Rhaenyra and Lenor, um and seeing her be just so kind to him as him being a queer character and, and someone who is often, we, we see queer characters in this world specifically uh, treated very, very poorly. And just, she knew what she was getting into when she married him. Yep. And there was never, she, she never once expected him to be anything other than who he was. Uh, and she was always so kind, but specifically, uh, I guess this would kind of be a spoiler for the, this would be a spoiler for the book. Nope. Nope. No book spoilers. Sorry. Nope. We said it. We said we wouldn't go book spoilers. Okay. Then I won't, uh, other than to say that they deviated from, I mean, you you can say they deviated from the book. Uh, Yes. No spoilers for things that have not been covered by the show. Sorry. I mean, it's the event that was covered in the show. That's fine. They just handled it differently. Yeah, his his death. Yeah, yes, that's fine. That's what I was going to say. Is they, okay. they he 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 for real dies in the book versus 
the the show has given him a much kinder fate. They yeah, they let him ride yeah. off into so, the sunset. So with I his was boyfriend. happy as yeah. I was expecting him to die, uh, and so seeing him actually potentially get a happy ending versus the very dark ending he gets in the the book was yeah. one of my big highlights. Okay. Second one? Yeah, uh, yeah the dagger. I need your other two. Yeah. We, we talked about it. I, I love seeing the dagger, uh, seeing the history there. I mentioned I watched uh, I watched The Bells, the episode of Game of Thrones today, and it made me so freaking happy just to see Arya, like, with that dagger on her hilt, like, running around King's Landing and everything. The history of that dagger and seeing it and the connection there would be number two. Yeah. And then number three, definitely, hands down, the best moment in the show is Rhaenys busting through the floor of the dragon pit, killing off a bunch of random people and coming face to face with <laughs> Aegon II, uh, watching her dragon, Meraxes, the Red Queen, just losing her shit, like roaring at Aegon. That moment, I teared up. I think that was just uh, seeing that come to life on screen um i think they've done a great job with all of the dragons and the visuals of them oh but yeah that moment you just felt the power of what it what a dragon actually could be so yeah i think my number th- so i mean i'm not going in any particular order uh so one of my highlights was going to also be the the visualization and how well realized the dragons are specifically um, there were times for sure in Game of Thrones where Drogon, uh, but specifically Viserion and Rhaegal felt like like color palette swapped version, like like shiny versions of the same like CG model. There's a very good reason why the dragons spend a lot of time off screen yeah. in that show. Um, they didn't have the budget. Every single dragon feels like its own unique animal slash character in the show uh they're all different sizes colors shapes uh even things down to like the pattern of scales and the way that that is the textures of the dragon are different for for them and for a show called house of the dragon yeah Yeah. you gotta have the dragons then the dragons Uh, (laughs) are there they are there Um, in full force so that was that would definitely be one of my three highlights um i think another one is kind of more on the thematic side of things game of thrones really focused a lot on how on power as like brute force and then power as manipulation this show has really done a great job to explore restraint as strength and how in action purposefully shows strength just as much as action purposefully showing strength. Um, I think the final two episodes show that beautifully with uh, Rhaenys's choice not to burn everybody on that, that dais. This was not my war to start. And also with Rhaenyra's self-control uh, hours after she had a miscarriage that she is controlling all of these men who are thinking with their swords, both literally and metaphorically, uh, rather than with their brains. And her being like, no, I have a duty to the realm 
and that comes first as queen. And if I am saying that I am this queen, that I am the rightful ruler, I must follow that duty. And that includes ensuring that we don't scorch the earth. And I, I think that that was definitely one of my highlights. And then I think my final highlight, um, this is sort of a personal one for me, uh, is Emma Darcy uh, as just an actor and having such a high profile show have a lead that is played by a non-binary actor where all of the promotional material uses their proper pronouns and everybody is just like this is just what it is it's not like a big deal they didn't put a he- put headlines out about them being a queer actor they're just an actor on the show playing a character and i think it's a great step for representation in front of the camera for the queer community uh and on that note we're going to take another quick little break <laughs> uh, and then we will give our kind of thoughts on our rankings for the show before we wrap up this conversation okay so we are going to wrap up our conversation here about house of the dragon by ranking it on a completely arbitrary and unmeasurable scale because how else do you rank things right because giving stuff a number when it's such when it's art and subjective is not fun (laughs) um i mean i know i put little numbered ratings on my reviews that i post on the blog half the time those are like just me kind of hand waving a number to put it there um but i'm i'm a proponent of like let's give a silly scale and and rate things on it so that's why on my reviews on the blog you'll see like five out of five drops of gamma blood for like my she hulk reviews because whatever right this is art and we're we enjoy it or we or we don't enjoy it or we're somewhere in between right at the end of the day that's really where everybody falls with these kinds of things um and so i'm gonna ask you zach on a scale of Rhaegal getting shot out of the sky by a javelin unceremoniously to the Red Wedding, um, where would you put House of the Dragon Season 1? <laughs> wow, what a lovely scale. I mean, I think that was the low point of the final season, yeah. in my opinion, because... Danny burning down King's Landing, I was kind of for. Uh, <laughs> I think I would give this a solid Battle of Hardhome. I mean, okay. So, like, good. Over, overall, good. Definitely. you're saying yeah. from, take the good and the bad of this whole season, and average it out. which and... not a lot of bad. The And it averages out to be the Battle of Hardhome, which, I mean... This There's going to be an E on this episode. What a fucking good episode. Yeah. I mean, like... It's, not not the best, but yeah. that's a solid Game of Thrones. I episode. don't think there was ever a low point. I I no. I think that the show did a good job. I think we we've said before the show is very character driven, and for that reason, there were some pretty slow moments. But I don't think yeah. that the pacing, for me at least as a fan, mm-hmm. I never felt like it dragged. 
I, I think there were episodes that were much stronger than others, but I don't think any yeah. of them were weak. Uh, so I, when you asked me uh, to think about where I would place this in comparison to Game, Game of Thrones, Thrones yeah. I, I overall I came up with that I would compare this roughly to like season seven of Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, so for me, season six was the peak of Game of Thrones. So um, you're not willing right now to say that this House of the Dragon season one was equivalent as a whole to the best of Game of Thrones no. is what you're saying. I, I think that, and I, I promised you, I would avoid any spoilers from the book about things that... Which you will continue to keep that promise. This is not a spoiler. I think it goes pretty obviously from where the show has led. Yeah. There are so many more dragons to come. Oh, no, that's and, not a spoiler. Yeah. And I think that the show, <laughs> the show has set up beautifully. Damon the listed story, them in the, the yeah, and we yeah. saw And we saw him uh, with... With Viserys' dragon. No, that was Jaehaerys' dragon. Um, it's fine. Yes. So many dragon names. Now I'm going to... Hold on. Uh, anyway. Um, so, but I think the dragons, I think the budget is going to be bigger. I think the show, I think there might, like, I think the season one has mm -hmm. done well enough that they're going to get an even bigger production budget for season two. And so I think that they, we could get to where it is as good, if not better than the best of Game of Thrones. I don't think mm -hmm. we're there yet, but I I think that they have managed to avoid the pitfalls that we saw with the later episodes. So maybe not maybe not hitting the highest highs that Game of Thrones hit, but definitely nowhere near the lowest lows either. So Yeah, I think when you're bring up budget, I don't think any fan should be worried about season two's budget. Um I, I know there's like so much shenanigans going on with Warner Bros. Discovery. HBO. But they have basically said HBO shows, HBO is going to continue to HBO. And the fact that House of the Dragon came in as the most watched series premiere of all time in HBO history. Uh, and there was worry left over from Game of Thrones. I think that that metric in and of itself, which is why the next day they greenlit season two, uh, is enough for HBO to say, okay, George, take take this money, go make this your cool dragon show, yeah. and so that people continue to su subscribe to HBO um, or HBO Max, wherever yeah. you watch. At it. one point, there were four four potential spinoffs in the works, but I, I'm glad that we settled on one. That exactly, clearly was a good I, one. I, if this is if all of the resources like ended up if they rather than splitting between four different shows. I'm glad that they chose to to focus in on this story because I think it's it's a great story mm -hmm. and and one that I really can't wait to see how they take it. So, yeah, I think for me on my arbitrary scale <laughs> that I came up with, I would put this season at a Arya stabbing the Hound through the chest and leaving mm -hmm. him for dead. Uh, that is one of my one of my favorite Game of Thrones moments. Um, not my favorite. But really up there, and I think overall, this uh, this show, like, 
in some ways surpasses Game of Thrones. In other ways, Game of Thrones was a little bit like we didn't we didn't ever get like a huge battle sequence like we got in some Game of Thrones episodes like Hearth Home or Battle, uh, of, the battle of the Bastards or even Blackwater. Um, but we got some really cool stuff and it makes me super excited to see this sh- where the show goes going forward. Also, the idea of the show just kind of making names of new actors because they have to go through people so quickly yes. because of the nature of the show, similar to the original show, um, is really exciting too. Like, I don't think it would be, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Emma Darcy probably, maybe won't survive. Probably, I say nothing. Uh, at least, I mean, I haven't read the book, but I'm saying Emma Darcy will not be on this show forever. If it's if we're thinking it's going to follow the whole Targaryen timeline, right? Because mm-hmm. inevitably they would die. As I told you earlier, and, though, yeah. Uh, and so I hope I hope Patty Constantine gets work off this. I hope um, that Emma Darcy does. I hope Olivia Cook does. Um, I. I wanted to, I didn't yeah. want to interrupt you, but I, uh, while you bring up uh, Patty Considine, uh major, major shout out to the makeup department yes. on this show. Yeah. Watching him as, uh, like, slowly, slowly die dying, throughout the entire yeah. season. The, yeah. the practical effects that they used on him yeah. throughout the seats season like and the way that they seamlessly blended practical effects and cgi in particular in episode eight yeah um for his face (laughs) (laughs) haunting uh his acting as well between yeah um the the actors need to get work off this show uh and uh the actress that played lena i I need to see her in more stuff because with the little the screen time that she got, she was so charismatic and established her character so well. Um, yeah. I, I, Another character that I, from the book, I absolutely, and I, I was so excited to see. Yeah. I need to, I need to see these actors come back and, and do more um, because yeah, this was a great cast between the, and, through all the age jumps too yes uh they did a fantastic job um that i think concludes our thoughts on house of the dragon season one uh we'll definitely continue talking about this show when it comes back for season two i imagine that probably won't be for like two years because they didn't green light the second season until the first one premiered uh but I mean, if it's this good, it'll be Maybe worth it. Yeah, yeah. So they gotta, they gotta render those dragons. True. <laughs> uh, so many dragons. Yeah, so many dragons. Uh, so thank you for uh, for coming back on, Zach. Thank you for having um, me. And uh, definitely having your knowledge of the books was added to this conversation for sure. <laughs> Alrighty, it is time for a segment that I lovingly call, But Is She Gay?
In this segment of Pop Culture Fay, I discuss how our weekly topic speaks to the queer condition. This week, House of the Dragon. But is she gay? Now, <laughs> uh, we already kind of, Zach and I already kind of talked about kind of these two things I was, I'm going to mention in our discussion of the show. Uh, but one that I bring up is Lenor uh, as a character. He, it seems like we are going to get the kill your uh, or bury your gaze trope, but we surprisingly get a positive bait and switch <laughs> where we don't get a bury your gaze trope, and Lenor gets to literally sail off into the sunset with his boyfriend. Uh, and while that also means that Lenor left the show after that point for the season, um, which he could maybe come back in season two, who knows? Uh, hopefully, yes, maybe. Um, it, it does mean that hopefully pop culture is moving beyond the trope of just because history was not kind to queer people that that it does not mean that media has to be mean to queer people <laughs> um also something i'd like to bring up in this segment is uh as i mentioned in the discussion emma darcy being an openly non-binary actor playing a leading role in a major television show that so many people are watching and all of the promotional campaign using their pronouns as they should uh, is just a great step in the direction of how Hollywood PR handles pronouns. Uh, still, people today mess up Ezra Miller's pronouns, even though they have used they them pronouns for a while before all of the mess that they've gone through. Uh, in recent years, uh, news outlets and like comic book fans online still will misgender Ezra Miller. Uh, but it's has been very heartwarming for me, especially as a gender fluid person who uses like whatever pronouns, <laughs> but enjoys they them as pronouns. Uh, it was very heartwarming to me to see the internet just collectively be chill about Emma Darcy's pronouns. And I hope that I don't have to like bring up the fact that the internet was chill about somebody's pronouns in the next like half decade or so, because they're just a part of speech. Like <laughs> I'm not going to go off on a diatribe about it, but I, uh, we should be chill about pronouns because they're just simple words that we use and they matter a lot for some people. And if they're someone else's pronouns, it shouldn't matter to you. Just use the right ones. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the, the, those are the two main things I wanted to talk about with House of the Dragon. Hopefully we'll see more queer representation as the show goes on. Maybe we'll get Lanor back uh, and hopefully... Uh, Emma Darcy gets work off of this show because they're amazing on this show. Um, for my weekly recommendations, my reading recommendation for this week is actually going to come from Zach. Uh, and 
partially this is toward me because I haven't read these either. And that is that people should read the Song of Ice and Fire series by George R. R. Martin. The original series has not been finished because George R. R. Martin is a cantankerous old man who likes to take his time with his writing, but hopefully one day we will get Winds of Winter, uh, the next book in the series. But for now, there are five books that you can read in the Song of Ice and Fire series if you're looking for more Game of Thrones-related content. For my TV recommendation for this week, rewatch Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's such a great show. It is one of those shows that really benefits from a rewatch. The more times you watch it, the more things you notice, the more foreshadowing you notice, the more details in set design and costuming that you see. And especially that final season, it ages very well. I think knowing the twist ahead of time makes it a lot easier to swallow. And you can also rewatch the whole show looking for the hints that Danny is going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> at the end uh because they're there throughout the show she says multiple times how she's gonna break the wheel and what does she do when she gets there she breaks the wheel uh and so i i just think it's a great show to rewatch um not all shows are good for rewatches but game of thrones definitely is one and then my film recommendation for this week is because we watched it last night and it was a great rewatch as well for a good halloween watch a fun halloween watch watch the 1991 adams family movie it's fun it's super campy it's super horny <laughs> and uh i mean angelica houston as morticia adams and christina ricci as wednesday those two alone make that movie worth your time and it's a great halloween watch it's fun, uh, and it's a lighthearted like Halloween watch in the sea of all the great horror that you might be watching this month. <laughs> so definitely check that one out, especially if you've never seen it before. Um, give it a try. So that concludes my weekly recommendations for this week. All righty. Well, thank you for joining Zach and I today in discussing House of the Dragon. If you are listening and enjoying the podcast, please give it a review on your podcasting platform. If you leave a question in a five-star review, I will answer it next week on the podcast. Also, if you have a friend who would like the podcast, make sure to share it with them to help grow our little community here. Once again, I am Miller C. Lashbrook. You can find me on Twitter at Miller C. Lashbrook, on Instagram at Miller C. Lashbrook. And for more Pop Culture Fay, you can head to our website, popculturefay.com, for more blog, blog posts and more content. If you would like to leave a voice message for the podcast or financially support the podcast, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash popculturefay. Finally, I hope that you all have a fantastic day, and I hope to find you the next time you wander into the forest of pop culture fate.